You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Grab your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm excited to get into the Word with you this morning, and well, you guys know me, I'm pretty much excited every day I get to get in the Word with you guys, so I just love the Word of God. It speaks to me, it's molded me and shaped me in ways I am so grateful to the Lord for. Does anybody else need a Bible? Anybody at all need a Bible? Just slip your hand up, we'll make sure that we get a Bible to you this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 25, verses 6 through 25, and really finishing up Paul's thoughts on the first half of this chapter. Paul has a very specific purpose in the first half of this chapter, and that's what we're going to be looking at. But before we get to that, let me just say, well, I'd like to just share Ephesians 5 and verse 18. You don't need to look it up, but just think about these words as I say them. Ephesians 5, verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know what you guys did last night, but I have a good idea of what a lot of people in the world did last night. There was a seeking to be drunk with wine, and perhaps if not wine, then some sort of alcoholic spirits as that seems to be something that is fun, it seems to be something that they uh, find or take pleasure in doing, and yet the Bible tells us that, hey, being drunk with wine, whatever your spirit might be, hey, it's nothing but dissipation. That word dissipation simply means a state of dispersion, or in other words, it's a waste. It's a waste of time. And so God, through Paul, tells us, hey, look, all of that pursuit, all that pursuit to be filled with this and that and and the temporal pleasures of this life that distract your mind and distract your heart, it's all a bunch of waste of time when it comes down to eternity. But then he says, but in place of that, let me offer you something that brings life. Let me offer you something that fills you with purpose and passion. And let me fill you with something that that will actually be good for you, not only here and now, but for all eternity. You'll never regret having been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And and that word, that phrase, it's it's a present tense, continuous command. In other words, it's if we were to translate it, Absolutely, literally, Paul is saying to you and to me this morning to be being filled all the time with the Holy Spirit. In other words, we're to continually surrender our lives to the control of the Spirit. And Paul is talking about the Spirit-filled believer here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The Spirit-filled believer is not somebody who is out of control, We'll get to that next week as we look at Paul's, the second part of chapter 14. Paul says, actually, God wants the believer to be heading in an orderly direction. Your life should be ordered just as God is orderly. But, but for now, he's going to be sharing with us about the point of coming together as a church. You see, in the church, in the Corinthian church, we've talked about this. They saw the gift of tongues as something that made them spiritual. They saw the gift of tongues as something that showed the evidence of the Spirit's work in their lives. And so the more they spoke in tongues, the more spiritual they thought they were. But Paul is correcting that heart. He's correcting that attitude. He's saying, listen, actually, in reality, that's not the evidence of the Spirit-filled life. 
the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is how Christ-like are you in your divine love towards others? How Christ-like are you treating the world around you? How Christ-like are you treating the brother or the sister that's next to you in church? You see, a Christ-like person seeks the good of others first. And instead of seeking to, you know, put yourself at first and be, or, or to seek that blessing, you seek to be a blessing, Paul says. And that's really what we're getting into here today. Last week, we saw that Paul's first point in the first five verses was simply making that point to desire the gift of prophecy. If you've got your outline and you want to pull it out, it's on there. We studied this last week. But it was that we would desire the gift of prophecy above the gift of tongues when we're together in a public worship service, in a corporate worship service. Now Paul is going to continue to make several points up through verse 25 before he changes his central theme. But for now, his central thought is simply edification through understanding and clarity is to be valued in our worship services. That's Paul's main point. We had that last week. It has not changed. It's the same main point that Paul is trying to make in these first 25 verses. Let's pick it up today in verse 6, where he gives us two analogies that show us the need for edification and clarity in the corporate worship service. He says, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues... What shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? So here Paul is giving us the first, or he's going to take a minute and he's going to uh, uh, talk to us about this. Simply put here, he says in verse 6, that speaking with tongues does not profit other people. It does not profit other people. Paul says the alternative here is to use the gifts that are intelligible or able to be understood. Notice there he mentions revelation. Revelation is referring to something that the Holy Spirit has revealed. He speaks of knowledge, of prophecy, and teaching. Those are all gifts that were mentioned earlier by Paul. We've studied those. But the common denominator, notice this, the common denominator there in verse 6 of all those gifts is that they are all intelligible, aren't they? They're all easily understood by those who hear them. Now Paul is going to give us a couple of very useful analogies which will illustrate what he means. The first is an analogy of musical notes in verse 7. He says, Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? Verse 8, For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, Who will prepare for battle? So musical instruments here. Musical instruments that don't actually play the right notes at the right time results in confusion and they don't benefit the listener at all. Try me, for instance, when I first started playing the guitar. I thought that I was awesome on the guitar, but my roommates thought otherwise. (laughs) I'll never forget when Jeremy Kemp decided to sit me down and say, Phil, that's not how you play that song, okay? And, and then he proceeded to show me the two chords that I would need to play that song and how to do it correctly and how to push them down so I wasn't buzzing all those strings, when to change, how to count rhythm, all those sorts of things. 
Now, you'd think I'd be a great guitar player if Jeremy Camp taught me, but that's not the case, because guess what? I only got one lesson from him. He was too busy to spend any more time with me, but, but it, was, it was fun. But the guitar is no good unless it's playing the right notes at the right rhythm at the right time. If you take a flute and a harp and you add in a bass guitar, a couple of electric guitars, a keyboard, and some drums along with a violinist and a cello, well, then you have skillet, right? And skillet can sound pretty beneficial to the listener, at least in my opinion, especially when they're all hitting the right notes at the right time on the right rhythm. There in verse 8, Paul changes the analogy a little bit. He says, uh, he's still talking about musical notes, but he talks, he uses a military reference in verse 8. You see, on the battlefield, before radios, the commander of an army used a trumpet to communicate his commands to the men who were far away from him. Now, if the bugler didn't hit the right notes at the right time, if he just blew air through that trumpet, then it would result in mass confusion for the troops, wouldn't it? No one would know what the will of the commander is. What are we supposed to do? There would be confusion. So Paul is making that, or he's using that analogy, and he makes the application for the church here in verse 9. Look at verse 9 with me. He says, So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. What an apt description for the person who, uh, or, or the people who exercise the gift of tongues outside of the parameters of God's words. When multiple people are singing or praying or praising in the Spirit, in that spiritual gift of tongues, hey, it's confusing. It's like, I don't know what you're saying. It's like air is coming out of your lungs, but I don't understand it. He says that's what happens when the gift of tongues is practiced without interpretation. It's like a bunch of buglers. They're all making noise, but it's really causing confusion on the battlefield. No one understands what the will of the commander is. Therefore, it's of no profit whatsoever for the others. Now, in verse 10, Paul gives an analogy about foreign tongues. There are, it may be, so many kinds of tongues in the world, and none of them is without significance, Paul says. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language... I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Now this analogy is especially appropriate for Corinth. Because if you remember, Corinth was a port city. It was on that narrow isthmus where there was ocean on one side, ocean on the other, and it was actually a place where the ships would be uh, actually rolled, their cargo rolled, and the ship itself rolled across that narrow land strip and put into the sea on the other side. And so sailors and merchants and people from all different parts of Greece and the world converged in Corinth. And so there was many different languages in the city. And if a foreigner were to approach you there in Corinth and speak to you in their own language, you'd know right away because you wouldn't know what they were saying. Es como si yo iba a hablarles en español esta mañana y decirles que todos ustedes son muy bellos. Se ven muy, muy bellos esta mañana. Did you guys understand what I just said? I was, okay, algunos. Algunos, yes. Some of you did. But most of you did not, because I was speaking a foreign tongue. I was speaking to you in Spanish. I told you that you were all ugly and mean this morning. 
just kidding. I just was seeing if you're awake. But what I did say was that you're all very beautiful, and I'm happy to see you guys this morning. But that was an example of what a foreign tongue would be like. If I only spoke Spanish to you, you would all be foreigners to me, and I would be a foreigner to you. But listen, by the way, we're going to be getting some Spanish headsets uh, soon. Uh, the, 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 the board just approved those. I'm very, very excited about that. Uh, what I mean by Spanish headsets is we'll have somebody who's going to translate one of these services into Spanish simultaneously while I'm speaking. And if you're a Spanish speaker, you'll get to have a headset on and you'll get to listen to the message in Spanish. And I'm very, very excited about that. It's something, you know, as a missionary in Costa Rica, I've been struggling with, God, how am I going to use the Spanish for you? And the Lord has just kind of led us to that. And there's several Spanish speaking folks in the community that have talked to us and said, when are you going to start a Spanish Bible study and this and that? And I'm going, I can't add something more to my plate right now, but this is a way that we might be able to do that. So I'm very excited about that, but that's, that's all on the side. Back to the text here. Paul is making the point here that the one who speaks in the gift of tongues is like a person that speaks a foreign language. You, you just can't understand one another. Now in verse 12 and 13, he gives the application for the church. Verse 12, even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Verse 12 and 13 are connected together. Therefore is the connecting word to verse 12. But listen, Paul is giving two applications. The first application is that believers are to seek the gifts of the Spirit that are going to edify the whole church when they're meeting together. That's Paul's first application. Again, edification through clarity and understanding needs to be valued in the corporate worship service. Remember that. That's the application there. And the second application that follows, it's actually a little bit surprising, isn't it? You see, we might think here that Paul would tell us, hey, you should desire the gift of prophecy above speaking in tongues. Remember, he already did that in verse 1. He said, hey, desire the gifts, but desire that you may prophesy more that you may, that you may prophesy. He said that in verse 1. So you think that right here he might back that up and say that again. But instead, notice, Paul zeroes in on what his main point is in this passage. To be understood and thus to provide edification to others through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul is not saying that the gift of tongues should never be used. Okay, note that. He's not saying that. But he is simply stating that it should not be used, it should not be used apart from the gift of interpretation, which is what makes the gift edifying for all. So, how can we apply this to our lives today? Well, I think there's some things that you've gotten out of that text already. But one of the things that I want to make a point of this morning is that it's very clear here that the point of coming together at church is not to receive a blessing, but rather to be a blessing. We so often have the wrong mentality about church. In the Western culture, we've kind of commercialized church. <laughs> and, and even here in Paris, I, I get the feeling that, hey, church is kind of this thing that we shop around for. And that's okay. We understand that everybody has their personal uh, opinion. Everybody has a right to be under the teaching that is going to fill their lives and is going to minister to them and equip them and send them out to do God's work. I totally get that. 
But listen, sometimes we get the wrong mentality about the church even that we belong to. And instead of coming with this heart, how can I be a blessing, we come with a heart that's like, hmm, wonder what the teaching is going to be today. Wonder if he's going to tell any jokes. Wonder if it's going to be good. And we come with a critical heart. And we come with this heart that, look, it's all about me. It's about me receiving here. But Paul is saying, no, it's the opposite of that. Church is not about you coming and getting a blessing. It's about you coming and being a blessing to somebody else. Guys, I can't tell you how important that is, this concept here, this concept of divine love, that we're to seek for the edification of the whole church, not just our own. We're to come seeking not a blessing, but to seek to be a blessing for someone else. And, and that can only happen, guys, if your heart is open to the Lord. It, only, it, it can only happen if you're open and filled with the Spirit. As you are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit is going to cause you to be the hands and the feet of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is going to cause you to reach out to those around you instead of just you know, staying in that little bubble of comfort that you know. Listen, it, it's not easy. It's stretching. It makes you uncomfortable. Yes, But guess what? Jesus Christ didn't save you so that you could stay the same person until the day you die. Jesus Christ calls you to follow Him. And that following of Him requires a denial of self, a taking up of the cross every day and following Him. This brings us to Paul's third section. Our third point is the application of Paul's teaching for believers, verses 14 through 19. And I'll change my slide. There we go. 1 Corinthians 14 says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What Paul means here, listen, is that the Holy Spirit is actually praying through His Spirit. That word spirit, it can be either way. It can be the Holy Spirit or it can be the Spirit of Paul. He says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So the Holy Spirit is praying through His Spirit. Because the source of the prayer language is the Holy Spirit. Listen, Paul says, I don't understand what I'm praying. Many people have asked, well, how can this be something that's edifying? (laughs) If you're praying, but you don't understand what you're praying because it's the Holy Spirit praying through you, how is that edifying to you? Listen, I think that the answer is because you know that you're praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you know that your prayer is actually being prayed through you by the Spirit, and it's exactly what it needs to be, and that's highly edifying for me. It's highly edifying when you realize that your prayer is going to be according to the will of God because it's coming from God's Spirit through your Spirit. And that's special. That's edifying. So what is the conclusion then, Paul says in verse 15? What's the conclusion then? I'll pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. He's saying there's a proper place for both of these things. Verse 16, otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For indeed, you, give, you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. Let's pause here for a moment. Paul is saying, listen, there's a time for praying with the Spirit, and there's a time for praying with understanding. There's a time for singing with the Spirit, and there's a time for singing with your understanding. 
When we are around other believers, whether we pray or sing or bless the Lord, hey, we need to do that with our understanding for the purpose of edification. Now, that doesn't rule out the possibility that you never pray or that you ever do pray or sing or bless with the Spirit. But listen, if that is the case, the person who is doing so should be very careful that you are not doing that so loudly that you distract others or confuse those who may be listening to you. Those that might be standing next to you or in front of you. If you're going to sing in the Spirit, you need to be aware and you need to be mindful of those believers, Paul says. Because listen, the last thing you want to do is create a spirit of confusion there that's going to take the attention off of Jesus and put it on you. That would not be loving. That would, be, that would defeat the purpose of the whole church coming together for the edification of all. Because you would be there selfishly receiving personal edification from the gift of tongues and yet others around you are going, what is that? What is he saying? I can't understand what he's saying. And, and, and worse, if there's an unbeliever, we're going to get to that. Paul says he, if there's an unbeliever there, some bad things could happen. And so we need to be careful about that. And, and so listen, there's a time for this. There's a time for this. Paul doesn't rule it out, but he says there's definitely a time and a place for it. Guys, for us here at Calvary Chapel, listen, hey, we have an encounter service the first Wednesday of every month. I keep announcing it while I'm teaching this. Watch, we won't have anybody here this first Wednesday of August. Everybody's going to be like, well, I ain't going to that, man. That's crazy. You know? But listen, it's a time when believers come together. It's a time when believers, we come and we worship the Lord Jesus and we wait on him. And we allow the Holy Spirit to minister the gifts of the Spirit for the edification of the body. And, and I'm mindful of the people that are there. If there's an unbeliever there, I'm going to make sure that we're explaining what we do because I want to be very careful. But listen, this is what Paul says is that there's a time and a place for these things. We need to be very careful about what we do. We need to exercise divine love when we come together. And edification through clarity and understanding is what we need to value when we come in these corporate meetings together. Now, observe here also that each time Paul refers to the use of the gift of tongues, notice that it's directed to God. We talked about this last week too. The gift of tongues is consistently in Scripture always addressing God. And and whether you're praying, singing praises, or giving thanks, blessing the Lord, then you're doing all of that, you're addressing God. However, When that happens in a gift of tongues, others don't understand. It's not going to edify the whole church. Now, Paul really applies this teaching to the believers here in verse 18 and 19. Check it out. Verse 18. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Stop right here. Paul's applying this to the believers. Listen to what he says first. He says, I speak in tongues too. In fact, Paul spoke in tongues more than the Corinthian believers. That must have been a slap in the face for some of them that thought they were really spiritual. You know, we're the hyper-spiritual ones here. And then Paul's like, actually, I speak in tongues more than you do. I'm sure it was a, a, a surprise to some of these Corinthian believers who were puffed up. And they were going around making that the thing in their church. But Paul is speaking about his personal devotional life, isn't he? More than just a Sunday Christian, Paul had a daily walk 
which included praying, singing, and praising God with the gift of tongues. And yet with all of that, Paul insisted on putting others first. Paul died to himself when he came to the corporate worship service, and instead of speaking 10,000 words in an unintelligible tongue, he would rather speak just five words that someone else could understand and be built up in the Lord. What a beautiful heart. What a beautiful heart. He insisted on putting others first. He sought to be a blessing to others, not just to receive a blessing for himself. Listen, guys, when we come to church, we're going to be blessed. We are going to be blessed when we open up the Word of God and God's Word speaks to us. You can't leave here without being blessed unless you've just got a hard heart or you stayed out till 2 yesterday and you're just asleep this morning, you know. It's tough. I understand that. But listen, you cannot leave this place without being blessed. But listen, your heart, Paul says, is to seek to be a blessing. You know, these verses are useful on both sides of this issue. First of all, on the one hand, it's useful to us or to those who seek to abolish the gift of tongues from church and possibly even from the Christian experience altogether. You can't help but to notice how sincerely Paul practiced this gift or how he held it in a proper esteem in his own life, even thanking God for the gift. He thanked God that he was able to speak in tongues and pray in tongues and sing in tongues. But on the other hand, for those who have the gift of tongues and you found that to be meaningful and useful in your life, we have to recognize how careful we need to be that we're seeking the blessing of others first and not just ourselves. That we don't come and make it about us. That's dangerous. So let's see how Paul applied this. We've seen here how he applied it to believers. Now he's going to give us the fourth uh, point here, the application of Paul's teaching for unbelievers. Verse 20. Paul says, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Now, don't take this verse out of its context. It's a great verse. But we have to to study this within the context. And listen, this is an exhortation. Verse 20 is an exhortation to the Corinthians to grow up in their thinking and to change their behavior when it came to church gatherings. In their understanding and thinking, Paul saw them, they they were acting like children towards the gift of tongues. They saw the gift of tongues as the evidence of spirituality, and yet they were behaving in all sorts of ways that were just plain wrong. Think about it. There was division. There was pride. There was no concern for the weaker brother. There was sexual immorality being tolerated in the church. There was marriage relationships that were suffering. And yet, because they spoke in tongues, they thought they were hyper-spiritual. Man, they thought they had arrived. What a joke, Paul says. It's time to grow up in your thinking. Christian, the gifts of the Spirit are not the evidence that you are controlled by the Spirit. It's your divine love. It's your Christ-like attitude. It's your willingness to do the hard thing and to deny yourself and to take up your cross every day and to follow Jesus Christ. It's time to grow up in your thinking, and it's time to change your behavior. I don't know if that applies to you here this morning, but maybe it does. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now that it's time for you to grow up a little bit. 
You need to change your thinking and then allow that change in thinking to change your behavior. That's what Paul says in verse 20. And in verse 21, he's referring to the law. He says, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. All right. Here's where things start getting dicey, church. This is where things get tough to follow. So please stick with me. I know this is going to be, uh, this might be some mental gymnastics here. So um, be ready. But Paul is turning to the Old Testament scriptures here to show the Corinthians a principle that is going to prove the point that he's going to make about tongues as a sign for unbelievers. He starts by loosely quoting from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11. A very loose paraphrase quote, by the way. But to understand what Paul is saying, we have to know the context of the verse in Isaiah. There, in Isaiah, God is speaking to Israel about how he's going to use the Assyrians to, as they come in judgment on them. And those who speak foreign tongues in this passage, those are the Corinthian believers. Okay, That's, the, that's who Paul's equating the Assyrians too. The Assyrians spoke a foreign tongue, they invaded Israel, and it was a negative sign. So uh, Paul is using the Corinthian believers, they're the ones that are speaking in tongues, they're the foreign tongues. Now, those who are like unbelieving Israel, because Israel had a hard heart, they turned their back on God, those are the outside unbelievers who come into church and receive the sign of tongues. Now listen, in the passage from Isaiah... Foreign tongues were meant to be a sign of judgment. They were a negative sign, not a positive sign. That's important. So the foreign language was a sign that resulted in judgment. It didn't lead them to change their ways. They didn't suddenly hear the Assyrians and go, Oh, we repent, Lord, and turn back to God and become believers. So the negative sign is that, Hey, the the Assyrians invaded. They never changed. They didn't repent. It hardened their hearts, and they were judged by the Lord. So Paul's point here, and let let me just repeat that one more time because I want to make sure you get this. Foreign language is a sign that resulted in judgment not to believing and obeying God in the Isaiah passage. Paul's point here is that the outsiders or unbelievers who come into the Corinthian church, they hear them speaking in tongues, they're going to say in their heads, you guys are crazy. I don't want any part of this. And so it would cause them to reject the gospel, their opportunity to receive God. They would leave that church, hardening their hearts against God, and thus leading them closer to judgment. That's the reaction. And that reaction would be the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy here. Because the unintelligible tongues would not lead the sinner to repentance and obedience, but rather would lead them to go, you know what, I'm out of here. I can't understand this, I'm gone. So, Verse 22, Paul continues, Therefore tongues are for a sign, a negative sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. So the gift of tongues are a negative sign. We've covered that. On the other hand, prophecy is intended for those who believe. It's, and really we're going to see that prophecy is beneficial for both. But this is a notoriously hard passage to understand. And here's why. Let's read verse 23 through 25, and you'll understand why this doesn't make sense. Paul, Paul says in 
22, he says, but prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Now look at verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he's convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So the problem here comes when we see what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23 through 25. He says first that if unbelievers hear tongues in a meeting, they will not be blessed, but will say that you're out of your mind. Second, if unbelievers hear prophecy and they're convicted in their hearts, their reaction may be not to worship God and to report that God is truly among you. I'm sorry, the reaction may be to worship God, I'm sorry, and to report that God is truly among you. So in 1 Corinthians 14, 23-25, Paul seems to indicate that tongues is not beneficial in ministering to believers. I'm sorry, ministering to unbelievers. I'm making the mental gymnastics even worse. Maybe I need to go through the course before I try to take you through it. So he indicates that tongues are not beneficial in ministering to unbelievers, while prophecy is beneficial to unbelievers. So then how, how can tongues be assigned then to unbelievers and prophecy be assigned that's better suited to those who believe? There seems to be a contradiction there. But listen, what we need to realize is that Paul is not trying to make it either or. We need to realize he's already stated, we need to take it in context, prophecy is useful for both. It's useful for believers, and now he's illustrating that it's also useful for the unbeliever. And so that's where we get to now in verse 23 and 24 and 25. He gives two illustrations. The first illustration is of the effect of tongues on unbelievers. So this is the negative sign. He says, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues... Real quick, let me point out here, Paul assumes that every believer could potentially receive the gift of tongues. Did you see that? So that might encourage someone here who think that you may never be given this gift. Paul assumed that every believer could possibly or potentially have the gift. Continuing in verse 23, says, And there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers. Will they not say that you're out of your mind? So that's how gift of tongues operates. There is a negative sign. Not for the believer, but for the unbeliever. Think about it with me. If a non-believer comes to church, he hears people doing that, praying, singing, praising in what sounds to him like gibberish, it's going to be difficult for him to stay. More likely than not, if he's anything like me, he'd probably leave, thinking, man, those people are crazy. They're crazy. I'm probably not going to go back there. And that would lead the non-believer to a, 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 a place where, you know, he's further from God. He'd be further from repentance. He'd rather harden his heart and, and reject God even more. Say, so, you know what? Church is crazy. Church is weird. I'm not going back there. Prophecy, on the other hand, is different. Prophecy is the sign that is for believers because it shows that God's favor is with them. They're receiving God's word. But it also functions as a positive sign for unbelievers in the opposite way of tongues, as Paul says in verse 24. He says, but if all prophesy, again, Point, point, out, point out there that Paul assumes every believer could potentially receive the gift and use, be used to edify. He says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he's convicted by all. 
and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So the gift of prophecy works as a positive sign for both believers and unbelievers alike, but especially unbelievers here. Paul is making that point. As the word of God is spoken forth under the power of the Spirit, it brings conviction, it brings revelation. You know what, guys? Sin has caused all of us to try to hide from God. Sin has caused all of us, just like Adam and Eve did, to try to find a place where we could get out of God's gaze, so to speak, where He can't see us. But listen, when the secrets of our sinful hearts are laid bare in the light of truth, especially the truth of God's Word, it has a humbling effect and it has a cleansing effect. Especially when we realize that God is willing to forgive us of our sins and the debts that we have against us. Prophecy can cause an unbeliever to change his ways and to worship the God who knows and reveals the secrets of his heart. The sure word of God being spoken forth can bring that conviction. It can bring that repentance. It can bring about confession of sin. So that's what Paul ends with today. And I want to end our message with just two points of application. First of all, are you merely seeking a blessing when you come to church? Or do you seek to be a blessing to others? What's your mindset? What's your mentality? Perhaps you need to get out of that mindset that, hey, I'm here for me. Yes, we know you're here for you. We're all sinners. We all need Jesus. We're all here because We're hoping that Jesus will bless us with a word, that he'll speak to our hearts, that the Holy Spirit will fill us as we worship him. Yes, there's community, there's fellowship, all of those things. But listen, are we coming with the idea that, hey, I'm here mainly for myself, and if everything doesn't go the way I want it, and people don't smile at me, and people don't welcome me, then I'm out. Or are we coming with the exact opposite attitude? Hey, who can I find today? Who looks new in the sanctuary this morning? Or, or who's that person that I haven't met yet and talked to? And I'm going to go out of my way today to be a blessing in their life and just tell them, hey, God bless you, sir. I see you coming here faithfully. Never gotten to know you. Just wanted to say hi today. Where do you work? What do you do for a living? How many kids you got? You married? You know, all these kinds of things. That's, that's how we seek to be a blessing to others. We don't come just thinking about, it's, it's me, you know, everybody's looking at me and it's all about me and I don't want to do anything because everybody's looking at me. Or do we come and we say, God, I'm here for you. I want to bless you today. I want to draw close to you. I want to love on you. And I want to love on others. And secondly, Has sin in your life caused you to hide from God? Is there something in your life right now that is causing you to hide from God? And and, and you need the sure word of prophecy spoken forth under the power of the Holy Spirit to convict you today and to say, you know what? Yeah, I am hiding from God. I have been separated from the Lord and the effects are being played out in my fellowship with my wife, with my kids, with my other family members. I'm isolating myself. I'm not a part of the community and the family of God. Hey, sin does that. Sin separates us. Sin isolates us. And it causes us to even seek to hide from the Lord. Well, know this. God sees all and knows all. You can't hide from him. 
He knows you on your worst, darkest day and your darkest hour. And he still says to you, I died for you. My son Jesus paid the price for your darkest moments and I love you and I desire that you would repent and turn to me. And you can do that today. You can turn from sin and turn to Jesus today. He wants you to do that. He desires to fellowship with you, but he will not, he will not allow you to continue in sin intentionally and habitually and, 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 and have that fellowship with him. It just doesn't work that way. Because he loves you, he's not going to sweep your sin under the carpet. You got to deal with it, man. You got to deal with it. And so as we close our service today, I want to encourage you guys to do just that, to deal with sin, to deal with the things in your life that are keeping you from fellowship with God, the things that are causing you to hide and to not be real, to not be authentic, to not be sincere before the God who loves you. Let's pray.